And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Gary Archer, president of Let's Play Sports, Inc. This mission that I'm on, I'm on a mission. I'm not in Africa. I'm not in, you know, South America. I'm right here in the United States. And there's tons of people that are just in so much pain that are inside of our organizations on an everyday basis. And I just say, be bold and share them the good news, man, because they'll love you for it. Hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We'd like to welcome you back to another episode. Uh, If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, tune in. You're going to be excited by our conversation today. And let's jump right into our guest for today's program. I have been particularly excited about the conversation that we're going to have today. One, I'm a sports fan. Two, love Jesus. Not necessarily in that order. Number three, I love to talk with Christ followers who are truly living out their faith in business and in the marketplace. And so today, folks, coming to us online, of course, from Austin, Texas, is Mr. Gary Archer. Gary is the president of Let's Play Sports, Inc. Gary, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's just an honor to be here, so I appreciate the time. Well, Gary, we're going we're gonna to have a great time today. We're going to learn a lot about your journey. We're going to learn about how your faith shapes your leadership and business. But we would be remiss if we didn't start. I, I want to learn. Tell us about what exactly is Let's Play Sports. Sure. Um, so Let's Play Sports um, is a company we own and operate indoor soccer facilities all across the United States. Um, And for those of you that aren't familiar with what indoor soccer is, uh, picture hockey, right? Ice hockey, like NHL style ice hockey. And you remove the ice and you put down AstroTurf and you throw six people out there on each team with a soccer ball. They can bounce the ball off the walls. And so we do that in a recreational format. So we form teams for people to play together, come together on and enjoy themselves. Think like uh, basketball league, bowling league, those kinds of things. Uh, That's what we do. We do it all over the country. Well, Gary, I have to admit, I'm a lifelong baseball guy and I'm just coming to understand soccer. So talk to us a little bit about kind of like the evolution of the popularity of the game here in the country. And then how has your business kind of tracked the growth and popularity of soccer? Sure. I I think there's probably two things that you should know about when, when we have this discussion that maybe like a lot of people don't know. And that is just, there's two different demographics of people that uh, pay attention to soccer in the United States. And one is the people that actually play. So it's the participate, the participation demographic, right? Those that play. And then those, the others that are just, they're fans of soccer. And for, oh man, more than 10 years now for probably decades, um, soccer itself has been the third most, participated sport in the United States. The only two sports that beat it out are you got it with baseball. They're number two. Baseball and softball is number two and basketball is number one. And so the popularity of soccer as far as participation has been really high for a really long time. And that's the business that we're in is the participation side. Now, recently, um, the fan has always lagged the participation. It's way behind. But recently, uh, there's been a significant uptick in the popularity of the fan side. And we're starting to see that side grow as well. So a lot of times, you know, whereas 
the participation side has gone a kind of little little sideways. Uh, the participation and the fan, uh, they're two separate. So the fan's growing double digits and the participation is basically staying in third place. Okay. And how has that kind of shift and growth in the popularity of the game? How's the growth of your business? Because you started back in what, 86, if I'm not mistaken, 1986 on, with your first location. Yeah. So kind of what's the business done since that time? Yeah, no, in 1986, we started with a $300,000 uh, facility, a single facility. And um, over that period of time, we're now at 24 locations and we're pushing $16 million in revenue. So that growth and participation, we definitely uh, have been the beneficiaries of that for quite a while. So it's really made a significant impact on it. Well, congratulations on that. That's That's pretty fantastic to learn. And so when I think of uh, soccer leagues and so forth, and $16 million. That seems to me to be a lot of people playing a lot of soccer yeah. and now in many locations. And so that's got to be real exciting for you and your team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that the greatest thing that, you know, I think of in this is that we have a lot of high touches with our customers. And so where you would typically see a business, maybe sometimes uh, you think of a Walmart, they got lots of people coming through their doors um, and maybe even their frequency is pretty high. But ours is we, we see the same players multiple times in a week, right? So people play usually two, three teams. And so we see them over uh, a long period of time with a, with a high frequency. So when we have high frequency like that, we have an opportunity to build relationships. And so we have over gosh, 100,000 new players that come through our doors every year and they visit our facilities like something like two and a half million visits in a year. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity to reach people, you know, with the gospel and to share, you know, just the, just about God and about Christ, uh, that opportunity is just overwhelming, right? Just the numbers are just overwhelming. That is incredible. There's a whole uh, mission field there, and we're going to get to that in just a few moments. But did you mm -hmm. kind of grow up thinking that you would someday lead a company mm -hmm. with multiple locations uh, around the game of soccer? Was that, was that kind of your lifelong dream, or how did you end up in this role? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, no, I don't think anybody ever, I've always wanted to be a professional soccer player my entire life. And I, at some point in time, I broke my leg three times. And, you know, uh, I realized that just wasn't where we where, where that wasn't to be. And uh, my dad actually opened up an indoor soccer facility in 1987. And my dad's just a phenomenal salesperson, but he just didn't have the operation skill in order to run that business successfully. And so somewhere around 1991, uh, I remember our family was going to do, go into bankruptcy. And, uh, and that's when we met the founder of what is now Let's Play Sports. His name is Tom Higginson. And he kind of came in and helped us, you know, get better at the operations. And he split the shares with us 50-50. It was a pretty easy decision for us because we figured 50% of zero was a pretty good deal. And, you know, ever since then, we've been just doing this, uh, being super successful. My dad was able to retire in 1994. You know, I've worked with the company and I'm very loyal to Tom Higginson for doing that because I know that he has a lot of experience in real estate. And I'm pretty sure he knew he could have probably picked our, our location up out of foreclosure or something like that. So he stepped in and he really made a significant impact in my life. And I've just been working in the organization ever since and just doing, taking opportunities and moving up from done everything from sweep the floors to be the president of the company. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. Well, you know, as I was listening to you share a little bit about that background with Tommy, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and I said, kind of this silly statement, I said, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, there's one thing you know for sure, they didn't get there on their own. That's right. And so you really are giving uh, homage and, and honor to this, particularly this gentleman, not only your father, but this other businessman who really helped lifted the organization. Is that correct? That is absolutely true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
true. I definitely stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so let, let's then talk just a little bit, uh, Gary, if we may, about kind of like your early life. Did you grow up in a Christian home, or at what point did you come into that? Tell us how you came into a personal relationship with Jesus. Sure. Yeah, no, um, no, I didn't grow up in a, in a home that, that Christ was kind of the center for. My grandmother had lived with us for quite a period of time, and I, she was a strong believer, um, you know, tried to force us to go to church. Uh, and when I got the opportunity to choose, I chose not to go. And then, you know, I, I, I didn't really make that decision. And, uh, and then I got to college and interacted with, you know, some people who, you know, claimed to be atheists. And uh, I think I decided that, yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I'll go ahead and be an atheist. And then I made that decision and I put it up on a shelf. And I just left it alone for years and years and years until about 2002. So I was almost 30 years old. I was 29 when I finally finished up college. And I went to this uh, university in Houston, Texas called the University of St. Thomas. And uh, it was it's a funny story. They require you uh, to have to take some of these theology and philosophy classes in order to graduate. So I did it. Um, you know, I went in as an atheist and I did that out of obligation. And, you know, just through reading about who Jesus was, what he did, and why he did the things that he did, and why God loved us, and why he wants to be in relationship with us, my heart began to turn. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, when I was uh, on campus at that university, as when I committed myself to Christ, it was in 2002. And uh, I mean, it was an immediate shift in almost everything in my life. I just saw the world in such a different way before. And I, I tell this to my wife all the time because she asked me, what was the biggest thing that you noticed? And the thing that I'd always noticed was in the life before knowing Christ, there was always apprehension. And I was always worried about something that I had done or a mistake that I had made that was going to catch up to me. Right? I was always looking over my shoulder thinking something's going to catch up to me. And when, when I became a believer and I accepted Christ, it was the sense of peace I still have this to this day. It, is, it was just overwhelming. I've never been as peaceful as after knowing that, you know, hey, I have the Savior. I mean, <laughs> nothing else matters, right? Nothing else matters. And so, you know, and it can't be taken away from me. He's eternal and it's, it's going to last forever. And it, it created such a peace in my life. It was, it was just an amazing, amazing moment. Well, I love hearing stories like what you're sharing here, Gary, where there was in your world, in your life and journey, there a very clear distinction of life before your relationship with Christ, and now your life after coming into personal relationship with Christ. And it really does shape your worldview. It shapes how you lead, it shapes how you live, and in business. And uh, I'd like to talk about that, some of that transition and how you live out your faith. So as you look back, Gary, over the course of your, your career, you know, now nearly 30 years in the indoor soccer business, if my math is is close. That's about right. Um, as you look back, let's let's talk about maybe a really really hard decision that you had in business. Maybe it was a difficult uh, circumstance or scenario. Uh, what was that hardest thing that you've been through? And then how did your faith help you work through that? Yeah. No. I, it, it's actually very timely because um, we we you know, the kind of the two things that are always the toughest is, is something that involves a lot of money, right? And what's your character going to look like when you're around money and, and how you treat people. And I'd say, you know, I've got stories for both, but the one that I think matters the most that really kind of, I spent a lot of time making a decision around was we had an individual who'd been working for our organization for almost as long as I had. She was with us for about 24 years. And um, she made some really poor decisions around money and uh, misappropriation of funds. She never actually took any money. She just mis misappropriated them, put them in the wrong boxes, if you will, with the intent of benefiting herself. 
And so um, during this process, obviously, there's there's a lot of things that you can do. And, you know, I think the world would say that's easy. You just go terminate that person. But, you know, at the time I was I was actually in a, a Truth at Work board and uh, we had just worked on something called the four-step decision-making model. And it just talks about kind of how, how do you make these types of decisions in, and, and seek wisdom from God? And uh, I think the very first one, you know, intuitively, I always assume that you just pray, right? Like, just go pray. But, you know, really what it, what it talked about was is you go to God's Word first, right? So what does God's Word say about uh, your situation? And then, then go to prayer, then seek your godly counsel and then just see what, what your personal experience is, is what is the, what's the situation doing? You know, so I, I was determined to make this decision, you know, relying on that, you know, discernment through God. And so when I went to the Bible, you know, you, you can't really just go and say, Hey, I got this employee, here's her name. And she, you know, she misappropriated funds. Okay. What's the answer? It doesn't really work like that. So you have to really kind of work through and prayer and discern what's the question, what am I looking to answer? And I, I had three verses that really came that hit home, and you know, I'm going to do them. Matthew 7, 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you, right? And, and then Micah 6, 8 talks about, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And then the final verse was this Luke 13, 6 through 8, and it's this parable that Jesus tells about a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And so from those kind of verses, and, you know, I went and sought some uh, ice counsel on those kinds of uh, information and, and sought prayer. What I really discerned was, you know, I was trying to get to an idea of there's a time to apply justice. There's a time to apply mercy. And where is the balance in those two things? And, you know, when I was reviewing the Bible, it just appears to me in the Bible, and I'm not an expert on this, but it appears to me that, you know, God doled out mercy or doled out justice in ways that would guarantee redemption for the person. So sometimes we see justice as what drives people to redemption. Sometimes we see mercy as what drives people to redemption. And well, I'm not God and I don't know people's intent. And, you know, I can only, you know, do what I can and pray for discernment. But I figured if I'm going to make a mistake, you know, these verses were all pointing towards mercy. And that's, that was kind of the decision that I leaned towards was, was we decided to not only be merciful with the person we did, which she did have to pay some consequences. We suspended her without pay for a period of time, but at the same time too, on that Luke 13, six through eight, we actually, when it talks about, we dug around and they fertilized the tree. It was like, we're not just going to leave her alone and just let her figure it out on her own. We're going to support her. So in addition to, you know, suspending her, we actually paid for her to have an executive coach that really coached her around. Why would you make this decision? You've been in this organization for 24 years. What drove the fear that led to this kind of decision? And, uh, and so we just, we equipped her so that when she came back, that she would be, you know, in a better position. And, you know, she, she continued to work for the organization for, I want to say three, maybe five more years, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, she just recently retired. So I don't know what the future looks like, but as far as that period of time, I think, you know, we had a 
24-year employee that worked for us that honored us with service for a lot of years. And uh, I think that, you know, the world would probably say, you know, she messed with your money, you should just fire her. But, you know, when I was looking at my Bible and, and when I was looking and speaking with my, my godly counsel, uh, they said otherwise, right? They said, you know, here's an opportunity to provide some mercy and maybe uh, help her to seek some redemption. Well, I would suspect that that's going to be the case. I want to just review real quickly because you walked through a biblical decision-making model. And Mm -hmm. many of our listeners here, Gary, to the program, they're familiar with Truth at Work and what we do with our roundtables, and many of our listeners are not. And so I don't need to take time to go in that right now. That's okay. But would you mind walking through, once again, quickly, those four steps that you went through in this very challenging decision-making process? Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, it was about going to God's Word first, right? So find places in the Bible that, you know, where God's Word speaks to the core of the situation you're looking into. And the core of the situation I was looking into for this person was mercy or justice, right? And so I searched out, and I had a lot more verses than the three that I just shared, right? I didn't cherry-pick verses. So there's that one, um, and then you seek you seek the Holy Spirit in prayer. So through prayer, and to, that helps me to discern, is this, am I cherry-picking the verses? Is this God really doing this? Uh, and then at the same time, too, you know, go to the people that are your godly counsel, you know, so you go to them, you present the situation to them and get their godly counsel on it. And then the last one is just personal experience. You know, what have I learned all these years from my experience that I've seen through Christian, you know, experience and, you know, worldly experience, all of those types of things. So there's kind of these four steps to just be intentional about, because I think the point of it is, it's four steps. So I would like to say you triangulate, but whatever four steps is, the answer that you're going to come up with will not lie outside of any one of those four, right? So whatever the decision was that I was going to make, if it fit inside of those four, it was probably, because there's probably in in life, there's a lot of right decisions. There's a lot of wrong decisions too. But if if my answer came and and aligned in all four of those, there was probably going to be a right decision. And so it, it was a, the tool and the timing of the tool was amazing. I literally had the problem the day before we had this lesson. So it was a great opportunity to, uh, to utilize it. Oh, I love it. That is fantastic. Gary, if uh, someone wants to learn more about you or the company, what's the best way for them to do that? They could just go to our website. It's uh, letsplaysoccer.com. If you're interested in playing or you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me through the website. I'll be happy to talk to anybody. But yeah, if you're looking to play, obviously find the facility that you'd like to play at and reach out to them. All right. Fantastic. That's letsplaysoccer.com. And so, Gary, let's uh, let's move on here a little bit and talk about maybe just a couple of biblical principles. You've talked about this biblical decision-making model that you applied in a real scenario with a difficult decision around a key employee, but what's maybe a couple of uh, biblical verses or principles that you like to practice uh, on a daily basis in your leadership? Sure. Um, you know, as for years and years and years, I led the organization, and I, I was a very task-focused individual. Like, I felt like if we got the work done and we got the job done, then that equaled success, right? Success was getting the work done. And that's okay, right? It's good to get the work done, but it's not good to get the work done if it damages relationship. And so the the more, the closer I've come in relationship with Christ, the more I realized is, you know, I, I like to tell this to my children all the time, is, is relationships are the currency of heaven. That's what I tell my kids, because it always talks about, hey, 
don't build up treasures here, build them up in the other world. And I thought about, well, what are the, what are the things that I'm going to still be able to have, you know, on the other side? And it, it's always that to me, the thing boiled back to was just the relationships. And so, and it, and then, you know, the Bible is pretty clear on that, you know, Matthew 5, 23 and 24 uh, is one of my favorite verses where it says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So it's really just God sees relationships as even more important than sacrifice. That's the message that I received from that, which is so relationships trump all. And so when I'm in any kind of a situation, you know, I mean, I just have to keep in mind that relationships are my number one priority. In fact, on my phone, you know, I think people run around all the time and say, trying to figure out what is the ministry that I'm called to do? What am I supposed to be doing? And I was one of these people for a while. And then I read 2 Corinthians 5.18, where it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you're wondering what your ministry is, there it is. Your ministry is reconciliation. And I keep that on my phone because I always think when I'm in a situation Am I being a reconciler, right? Like, am I reconciling this or am I making things worse? You know, so am I, am I, am I throwing gasoline on this fire or am I reconciling um, this situation? And I think that's been, that one's been huge, just putting those relationships first. And then the last one that I had was, you know, God, especially this year for our company, you know, we've had some struggles around sales this particular year. You know, I think the thing that we got to be careful is, is God doesn't always promise smooth sailing. And so I, I really leaned on Romans 5, 3, and 4 this year. And that is, it, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that is really, as we've gone through decline in sales and we've tried to do some things, um, it's really just a matter of, you know, in our lives, we have to be able to thank God for the suffering as well as for the good. And that's something you can, it's really easy to say and hard to do kind of thing. And so that's one that I've been really kind of ruminating on this entire year. So, Well, I'll tell you, uh, and I like to take notes in these conversations, and I wrote this down for a takeaway for me, and maybe somebody who's listening to our conversation will be a good takeaway from them. But you made this statement, and I just love this, that relationships are the currency of heaven, and at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that is most and first foremost what God's concerned with. And that, thank you for that. That's just an encouragement and a great reminder for me as well, so thank you. What I'd love to learn a little bit is with all these demands that you have, your your business, the pressures and demands there, we've talked a little bit, you know, family life, church life, those sorts of things. How do you go about, you know, and I'm not sure I like using this question or this word balancing at all, but how do you make sure to keep the main things the main thing with all that's on your plate? Yeah. No, I like that. I'm glad you didn't use the word balance, right? Like, so, yeah, uh, prioritize, right? I think that's, that's the key. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, here's another word I don't like to use. I think it's overused a lot, but it's that, that concept of in, intentionality, right? Like you have to be intentional about what you do. And, but I do think that the idea of faith, family, and work, there's a danger in compartmentalizing them, like separating them from each other. So one of my goals has always been to bring the whole person to work, bring the whole person home, um, include those types of things. So just separating that compartmentalization. But, um, you know, uh, personal practices of, you know, giving God, you know, my first fruits of my first hour and a half of quiet time every day with no exceptions, you know, um, that's a... 
there have been times where I've missed my quiet time and it has been not a good day, right? It just hasn't, I haven't been in a good space. Obviously, you have to be intentional about the quality time with each family member. And, you know, we, we've taken time, you know, I treat that you take best practices from your business and apply them to your family. Yes, those things work. I have the greatest wife in the world, by the way, guys. I, and so she plays along with some of this business stuff and we have a, a vision for our family. And so we, we set goals that support that vision. And then, you know, I'm, I'm excited because we got a 12 year old. And so we're going to be talking about revisiting, you know, the family mission and those kinds of things. And it'll be the first time that this, they're in an age now where they can kind of grasp these concepts and they'll be able to speak into it. So I'm kind of excited about that. And then as far as just work goes, right, I think back to the relationship thing, I, one of the things I learned about relationship before I used to think, okay, how am I going to achieve that? Like task-wise, task, 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 task. how am I going to break this down and chunk out the elephant, eat it one bite, one bite at a time? And now when a challenge or a problem presents itself, I don't think of how I'm going to do it. I think of who I'm going to do it with, right? So I just, the ability to get work done through others, um, the more and more I do that, the more and more I have time to spend with the family and, and, and do those kinds of things. It's a lot more fun that way too, by the way. So I think those, those are the keys, right? Just not compartmentalizing, you know, stay connected to God, you know, be intentional about my family time and, and, and work with the kids and then just make sure I'm getting work done through others and not, not putting everything on my Well, you said something there, Gary, I want to just kind of like not just gloss over because it is, is like amazing. Mm-hmm. You said you start each day with a one and a half hour, 90 minutes of quiet time mm-hmm. and ju- just settling in with the Lord and so forth. So I, I just for a moment, let's just imagine that there's somebody listening to this conversation right now and they're, they're busy and they, they hit the ground running this morning. They had 40 emails and they'd get kids to school and then get into the office and uh, all those things. And maybe right now they're just, you know, they're on their treadmill, they're listening to this conversation, or they've got it on their phone and they're listening as they're driving down the road. What advice or encouragement could you give to someone who just heard, wait a minute, this guy just said he spends 90 minutes a morning with the Lord. What words of encouragement? How can that, how can that happen? How could you help them yeah. maybe do that too? Oh, good call. Yeah, you know what? I think there's there's three things that really got me fired up to stay committed to doing this. And one is, I mean, I want to be in a closer relationship with Christ, and so much stuff gets in my way all the time, right? So I always have stuff that could that could take precedence. And so I was always, you know, okay, I needed to sleep in because I stayed up late, or I miss it, and I got to get to this email, or I got to get to that appointment, and those kinds of things. So it was like I was trying to fit Christ into my schedule. And like, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't like it when you do that. So uh, one of the things I realized was in in one of my quiet times, I had thought, why is this such a struggle for me to actually commit to doing something? And initially, I was just trying to get 30 minutes, right? At first, I was just trying to get 30 minutes. And what I realized was, is if it's important, you make time for it. So, you know, it's Texas. uh, You know, people go hunting here. I go camping. And we get up super early to go camping. And I make time to get up early. And, you know, when I stay up late that night packing or whatever, but I get up and I go do it because we want to do it. And I do, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the sun come up getting ready for a soccer game or, you know, those kinds of things. So why are those things so important? And I'm willing to like go on lesser sleep or whatever else it is to do it, but I'm not willing to do that for God. And I felt really convicted that, oh, that's probably not where I want to be. And so I, you know, I started out at a half an hour. Um, I graduated to about an hour. And then the, the second one that really caught my attention was I was reading, uh, I was reading about Martin Luther and he talked about, oh, it just started getting really hard. The pressures of what he was doing and everything was just really starting to pile up. He said somewhere where it was like, he, did, he 
expanded his time for God. The busier he got, the more he he, took, he spent time with God, not the reverse, right? So he didn't take time away, he increased it. So as demands went up on his time, as pressure increased, he increased his time with God. And I thought, wow. And that's what got me to an hour and a half, because this year we've just we've struggled, just this year with sales and just some other things we've struggled. And I just thought, you know what? I'm struggling in a lot of things. I need more time with God, not less time with God. And so it's just making that priority, put it on, put it down. And then I had a friend of mine tell me yesterday, I, I loved his analogy on this. And he was just talking about tithing and first fruits and those kinds of things. And if you really think about it, when you wake up, your first fruits, right? Your tithe for the day, the, there's nothing more valuable in a human being's life other than God. The thing you can't get back is time, right? You can get more money. You can do a lot of things. But like once you spend the time, it's gone and you can't get it back. And so if it's so valuable, we should honor God with that tithe of our time. And so it's like, so that first fruits is when I first wake up in the morning and giving that to God. And guys, I'm out there with probably 90, well, I don't know what the percentage is on people that are night owls. I've always been a night owl my entire life. And this concept of getting up and having quiet time with God was such a struggle with me. And I tried to do it in the evenings and it just didn't work out. And so I just think nothing has been more beneficial to building my relationship with Christ than this time that I set aside. And I, I'm, I'm as busy as you, I bet, right? I'm sure there's people out there that are a lot busier than I am, but I'm as busy as probably most of you guys out there. It's possible if, if you make it a priority. There's a lot of things we do in our lives that are priorities. I mean, you can do it. And I think it doesn't do anything but pay dividends. I mean, I can't think of anything. I like, I'm talking about it right now and I can't, I'm waiting. I can't, I'm looking forward to it for tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be up at 5 a.m. tomorrow. So. Uh, well, we're going to fill our time with something and that mm-hmm. uh, you're filling your time in the morning. First fruit, as you said, with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So Gary, we've talked about uh, the business. We've talked, you know, about the history, a little bit about that. We've talked about your background, how you came to faith in Christ. We've talked about a couple scenarios of living out your biblical principles in business. So this last section, I'd like to kind of transition to kind of what I'd like to call our advice section, our encouragement section okay. uh, of the conversation. Sure. And so if you had a chance to, you know, go back and do it all again, you know, what advice would you give yourself or what would you do differently if you had a chance to kind of like live it all over again? Yeah, I mean, other than <laughs> other than find Christ sooner. Don't wait till you're 29 years old to find this relationship, right? That's obviously my biggest you know, regret in life. I always look back on that and think, gosh, man. And I feel bad for my wife. I, I truly believe God brought us together. And my wife is an extremely patient person. She waited a long time, 20 something years, 29 years wow. uh, for me to become mature enough to actually, uh, you know, you know, to be married. So she was out there and she just knew God had somebody for her and she just had the patience to wait and wait and wait. And God was, God was watching me and going, Dude, you got to grow up. I got this person for you, but you have to grow up before I introduce you. And so I really truly believe if I had a, the moment I became a believer, I met my wife. And if I had become a believer when I was 20 or when I was 15 or 16, I would have probably met my wife. So um, so I pray, praise God for her and, and her doing that. But uh, gosh, just, just as far as advice goes, um, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to believe that you, you have a relationship with Christ, or maybe you're even wanting to have a relationship with Christ or have a deeper relationship with Christ. Um, and, and maybe you're, maybe you're just walking out, right? Maybe it's just the beginning of the time. The thing that I just encourage you to do if you're in the workplace is I encourage you to, it, your job, your career is where God has you and it's where he wants you. And it's, 
if you feel like, look, if, by all means, if you're being led to be in the ministry, if you're being led to be in the church, then by all means, if God's calling you into that, then go. But I would say a lot of people, there's only so many jobs that are in there, and all of us have jobs that are in the workplace. And I believe the lie for a really long time that was you cannot, if I'm going to serve God, I have to do it in the church, I got to be on mission, or I have to make a bunch of money and donate it to those causes. And it wasn't until 2006 that I realized that the business itself, my work is actually my ministry and that the people that I interact with on an everyday basis, I bet all of us interact with people on an everyday basis that don't know the real gospel, that's your mission field. And I encourage you to be bold and walk into that mission field. Because if I hadn't heard that, listened to that podcast and hadn't heard that, I don't think I would have said yes to becoming president of Let's Play Sports when somebody offered that that position to me. I, I would have probably passed it because I just saw all the work that it involved and what it did to the previous founders, you know, family and relationships and those kinds of things. And I just, I didn't think that that was someplace that I wanted to go. But, but once I realized that this mission that I'm on, I'm on a mission. I'm not in Africa. I'm not in, you know, South America. I'm right here in the United States. And there's tons of people that are just in so much pain that are inside of our organizations on an everyday basis. And I just say, be bold and share them the good news, man, because they, they'll love you for it. I'm just, they'll love you for it uh, when they become to believe. You know, once they believe, I think it's just going to be amazing. So that's my advice is, is grow where you're planning, basically. I think that's absolutely incredible. And, you know, as I was listening to you share the answer, you know, talking about that question, it was in 2006 that you listened to a podcast, much like this one, mm-hmm. I'm sure, and you heard somebody... Mm-hmm revealed to you this amazing new truth for you and that that their mission field was in fact right where God had them and who knows Gary maybe right now there's many individuals listening to this conversation and here you are 12 years later a chance to convey that very same message on so thank you for that that that's good stuff no, that is, that's, that's great awesome. stuff yeah. yeah that's awesome that context is really great yeah it's the first time I thought about that that I was that I'm in a podcast right now and that, yeah. you know it was from listening isn't that just like God? Right? Isn't that just like His personality? Well, it really is. That's so cool. It really mm-hmm. is. So as you look back, you know, um, you've been in business for a long time now, and if you could go back to that first year being in business, what do you wish someone had told you about being in business, and what surprised you? What advice do you wish somebody would have given you in that first year of being in business? Oh, gosh. You know, I wish... Um, leadership is a lonely gig, right? Like I always tell people, um, I'm president of this company. It's a good gig if you can get it, right? Um, but it's a, there is definitely some uh, loneliness at the top. That's, that's a real thing because, you know, especially in my organization, everybody I'm connected to, almost all of my friends are connected to this organization in some way. They're shareholders, they're employees. They're just, it's just, it is kind of my network is people that are connected to this company. And uh, it was probably the most amazing thing I would recommend anybody to do would be to join some sort of an advisory board like like a truth at work or something similar to that. Sure. Because being in, in, in any position, you need to have people that are not connected to what it is that you're doing, but are connected to you. So, And you also get to hang around some other really super smart people that understand what you're going through and they're there to support you. They don't have an agenda or anything like that. So I wish somebody would have introduced me to this kind of concept of an advisory board sooner. I thought I had to do it on my own and I was trying to do that. And it was, 
it was hard. It was really hard. And uh, now to know that there are other people out here that are like-minded, that are seeking uh, to bring God into the workplace and share the faith, it's just encouraging. And to get that kind of advice, like I said, that godly counsel that I received on some of my harder decisions, that was my board that was giving me that that yeah. information. There, That's where I got my godly counsel was from my board. So be on a board, surround yourself with these kinds of believers. That's incredible. And and for the record, I did not put Gary up to that. I didn't pay him an endorsement fee no, he didn't. Uh, around uh, being in a, a group like a Truth Work Roundtable. It's just he's speaking from his own experience and his own value that he's had in this journey. So, Gary, it's hard to believe we're down towards the uh, end of our conversation here. First of all, thank you so much for joining us here at Bottom Line Faith. It's, it really has been a lot of fun. It's been an honor. So I just want to say thank you for investing in us today. It's been my pleasure. And so I've got one more question, if you're ready. And, and, okay. and Gary, we call this our 423 question here at Bottom Line Faith, and it's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life. Gary, I'd like you to just take a moment, and I want you to fast forward to the—you talked earlier about how precious time is, mm-hmm. and uh, let's just fast forward to the end of your journey, this side of eternity, mm-hmm. and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who are most precious to you, and I want you to fill in the blank. What is the most important piece of advice that you could pass along yeah. as we conclude our conversation? So fill in the blank for us. Above all else— I would say above all else, I would I would encourage everyone to build and nurture nurture relationships, right? Because just like I said earlier, I truly believe relationships are the currency of heaven. That that would be it. That is straight to the point, and you have reiterated that two or three times, and I'm gonna say it one more time. Relationships are the currency of heaven, and that's really Jesus came back to this earth to restore relationship between us and God. And so, Gary, thank you for that. That's a spot-on reminder of the most important advice. Thank you. And, and Gary, one more time, if folks want to learn more about you or the company, what's the best place for them to uh, visit online? Yeah, if they want online, they are interested in playing or, or maybe even working with us or joining the organization, you can go to www.letsplaysoccer.com. Uh, if you want to reach out directly, you can do that to me. Um, my email address is archerg at letsplaysoccer.com. That's archerg at letsplaysoccer.com. So if there's something you wanted to reach out to me directly for, I'm happy to answer your email. Oh, that's fantastic. Once again, Gary, thanks for joining us on today's program. Folks, this has been another episode of Bottom Line Faith. Just as we wind down on today's program, just a couple of reminders and encouragements uh, back to you. Gary has talked about in our conversation today about the importance of this advisory group concept to not walk through this journey of leadership isolated and alone. We'd love to encourage you to check out Truth at Work. We are the host ministry of the Bottom Line Faith Program. So go to truthatwork.org. You can click on there and learn about roundtables that are in cities and towns all across the country. Check that out at truthatwork.org. And we get asked quite a bit. I, I was out just having dinner last night with a friend of mine, and he says, you know, Ray, I'm excited about this Bottom Line Faith Program what is something that I as an individual could do to really help that program succeed? Well, folks, here's the answer to that question. Go online and give us a review. The more reviews that we get around conversations like what we've just had with Gary, the better it positions us online in the search engines and exposure and so forth. So please, please, please take just a couple of moments, give us a review on today's program or any of the interviews that you would listen to there. That's how you can be a blessing here at Bottom Line Faith. So we are so blessed, so grateful that you've joined us today. 
And until next time, I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to faithfully serve the Lord each and every day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 